Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NCEA podcast. This is John Reyes, the Executive Director of Operational Vitality for NCEA. Welcome to this week's show. Uh, and joining us this week is Dr. Susan Abeline, who's the Academic Coaching Manager for FACTS Education Solutions. Uh, Dr. Abeline has had nearly 30 years of experience in Catholic education as a teacher, principal, head of school, diocesan leader, and higher education professor. You name it, she's done it. And, and she has tremendous expertise and experience in educational leadership, curriculum, instruction, assessment, innovation, professional development, change management, just to name a few things. Uh, so we're super glad to have you on. So thanks for coming on, Susan. I'm really happy to be here with you today, John. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. So we'll jump in. We're going to talk a lot on this podcast about uh, academic coaching, uh, seeing as that's central to your uh, role with FACTS. Uh, and so can you talk a little bit first, like how does academic coaching differ from other kinds of professional development that Catholic school educators might be used to or might have as part of their own professional experience? Yeah, I think, um, you know, traditional PD is usually delivered um, with workshops, conferences, webinars, um, and coaching is a little bit different um, because it's it's kind of multiple opportunities to interface with an expert, that coach, uh, on, a, on a regular basis. So, you know, I think in Catholic schools and in, in a lot of, you know, public, private schools, um, that one and done PD is something that... Um, that we're pretty used to. And, um, and I think coaching is just that opportunity to have kind of multiple, um, multiple opportunities to interact with, uh, with an expert. Um, yeah. And I think that's awesome. And, you know, if I'm thinking about sort of the other side of this, right, because I think we both have had the opportunity to lead professional development and also be on the receiving end of professional development. And I know that for educators, not just Catholic educators, there, there's always, um, I think a segment of folks that, that really have negative connotations or negative associations with professional development. Like it's a very painful experience sometimes. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, and so how, how does academic coaching work to address some of those pain points or some of the difficulties that you mentioned the idea of traditional PD. So how does academic coaching sort of address some of those pain points? You know, well, what I will tell you what bears out in the research is that mm -hmm. mandated professional development doesn't work. Uh, and that includes wow. mandated coaching. So uh, there's great study done uh, in Florida, 2,500 teachers who were who were mandated um, to receive PD and the, the impact on, uh, it had negative impact on student learning. And so I think in terms of any model, whether it's professional development in a traditional sense of workshops and um, you know, webinars and that kind of thing, um, or it's coaching um, where we've seen great impact and great um, outcomes with teachers uh, is when teachers um, sign up, when they volunteer, um, when they choose um, the kind of professional development that they want. Um, it's really honoring the strengths that teachers already have and kind of taking them where they are, meeting them where they're at, and, um, and helping them to progress as a partner. And I think that's kind of the big difference with coaching. Um, you know, when you're a PD presenter, you're, you're kind of presenting to the audience and not really recognizing um, the strengths and tapping into those strengths when you're, when you're presenting to an audience. But when you're in coaching, um, whether you're coaching an individual teacher or a team of teachers, you really have the opportunity to build a relationship and to really um, dig into what are those strengths that the teacher's already uh, possesses and 
and how do you build upon those strengths? And I think, you know, you can do that much more effectively, for, in my opinion, um, in a coaching relationship. Yeah, and I think that idea of relationships and building on strengths and providing sort of choice and voice, mm -hmm. it seems like it would resonate a lot mm -hmm. with educators, especially Catholic educators, because those are the kinds of things that we want to do for students, I would imagine, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think, um, you know, as part of our, our, our model here at FACS, it's when we're having these conversations with principals in terms of coaching and, and who should receive coaching, um, you know, from our perspective, coaching is not about evaluation. Uh, it's not about um, kind of doing the principal's job for them. It's really, uh, it's, it's meant to be um, a partnership with a teacher who wants to grow. And, and because we're forming that relationship, um, it, again, it certainly should not be evaluative. That's great. Those are some great nuances. And you mentioned something here a little bit about who, who should receive coaching. And is there, is coaching really for like a certain group of educators or for a particular area of teaching practice? Like, so, so mm -hmm. what's the scope of coaching in a Catholic school? Well, in, in terms of the who, um, again, what we track in our in our model we track you know 11 research variables and one of them is as i you know said before in that in that florida example where coaches or teachers were mandated to receive coaching you know we want to avoid that but it is you know one of four options so so for us we want to start with who are those teachers who are just kind of open to growth always looking to to learn um, that would be our number one group our number two group would be the principal kind of throws it out there and says, we've got an opportunity to engage in coaching. Who wants it? And so this is now, now teachers are aware. And so they might sign up. So that's kind of our level two. And then our level three would be principal throws it out there. Uh, no one necessarily signs up immediately. And so the teacher, <laughs> so the principal then goes around and kind of taps certain people on the shoulder and so that would be our third level where it's more principle directed, um, but not yet mandated. And then that fourth level would be mandated. And so we're, you know, the research bears out, but we want to, we want to, you know, look at that from our own program perspective to see as one of our variables, does that matter, you know, in, in the scope of how teachers are um, selected for coaching or self-select for coaching, does that matter in terms of our effectiveness of delivering a quality uh, coaching model? And I imagine that allows you to differentiate your approaches, right? So depending on sort of where you fall in those four levels, if you have this opportunity mm -hmm. to receive coaching and you, you sort mm -hmm. of know, hey, here's here's this, the, the, the frame of mind that, you know, you've got to, yep. the teachers are going to come in with, you can sort of differentiate and, and change up your, uh, your approaches. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and and you know there's a there's a great kind of uh, model that speaks to those approaches where it can be it starts with relationship driven approach, right. um, and then there's teacher centered approaches, and then then student centered approaches, mm -hmm. and so when you're working with teachers who really don't want to be coached, you pretty much are staying at that relationship centered level. Um, because it's really hard to get to the next level and the next level when there's resistance from the beginning. Yeah. And it could be resistance. It could be skepticism. It could be doubt. And I think sure. maybe one mm -hmm. of the things, one of the areas or sources of maybe that, that hesitancy or doubt might be, 
wondering, well, what is academic coaching? What can it impact, right? So, so what are the different areas that you've seen academic coaching be successful in, in shifting or improving or growing teacher practice? Yeah, so, um, so I think from Jim Knight's work um, and, you know, when I was designing our approach to coaching, um, I pulled, you know, from a lot of different great researchers and practitioners. Um, but one thing he talked about was having some sort of um, set of best practices, right, to really guide the coaching experience. So I've seen a lot of coaching in my um, many years of experience where it's really just um, coaches who are who are the Band-Aid, not the cure, who mm -hmm. kind of go in and they're like a quick fix um, with a teacher. And there can be a great rapport there, great relationship between the teacher and the coach but it doesn't lead to lasting change. And so, so what I've, you know, just so impressed with the work of Jim Knight and kind of a practice we've um, created for ourselves here at Facts Ed is that we have toolkits. And so within those toolkits, we're able to define kind of what excellence looks like. Um, and then what are those best practice strategies uh, that really impact, that we know impact uh, teaching and learning. So we pull a lot of John Hattie's work in um, for those kind of general teaching practices. So, Great. so our toolkits really fall into two buckets. One is more like core teaching skills, unit planning, lesson planning, design, right. assessment strategies, instructional strategies, um, classroom environment, engagement, differentiation. And then we also have kind of content area coaching where we get into science and math and English language learners and those kinds of things. So Ultimately, it's meeting the teacher where they're at. What do they want to work on? Whatever they want to work on is great with us. We just want to help them progress. That's awesome. So it seems like you've got an approach that's built on this research and rooted in best practices that can really scale. So whether it's your first year in a classroom or your 30th, or it's your 30th and it feels like your first you, academic mm -hmm. coaching is something that scales, which is very different from that traditional sort of sit and get one one shot PD piece. Absolutely, absolutely, yep. And imagine enrolling this out and you've had a chance to, to do this in a lot of different contexts and this is something that's now core to what Facts Education Solutions does. What are some of the misconceptions that you, you typically um, see surface in, in teachers and in leaders and in school communities when they're first sort of dipping their toe into the academic coaching waters? Yep. So a few things. One is um, a lot of folks see it as evaluative. So you do have to kind of get through that, that first hurdle that uh, working with teachers, that you are not there to evaluate them, you're not their boss, um, and that there's confidentiality between coach and teacher. Um, and honestly, any growth that you see, that we see between teacher and coach, the principal should see as well. So, so in terms of like, you know, um, the principal knowing about the conversations between a teacher and a coach or what those observation right. details are, principal really doesn't need to know that. And so we, we maintain the confidence of our teachers um, and we are very clear that we are not there to evaluate. Um, the other thing that I think a misconception about coaching is that it's costly. Um, I know in-person coaching can be costly and in, in our model, we do um, virtual coaching. Uh, so much more, much less expensive um, because you're meeting with your coach online. Um, the, the teacher is, um, 
using video. So they're recording their lesson, uploading it, sharing it with their coach. Uh, and then they're engaging in their weekly conversations um, through Zoom or WebEx or whatever online platform. That's um, really so, cool. Yeah. So from our perspective, you know, it's it's much less expensive. And then I would say the third kind of common misconception is that great teachers make great coaches. And um, and I and I think we've both seen this in our in our work is that you can be a phenomenal teacher, um, but not necessarily be a great coach. And, you know, the same is true in athletics. You can be a great, you know, basketball player, but you might not make a great coach. Um, so our, our coaches are trained, you know, they spend a week in our boot camp and it's their long days, pretty intense, um, and really building up the skills of what it is to be a great, a great coach, someone that can build trust that that's great at conversation, um, that has those, um, collegial, um, skills, observation skills. So we, we spend a week really working on, um, that skill development in our coaches. That's really cool. And I think it's, it's important for folks to know that if they have the opportunity or they're exploring the possibility of academic coaching, you know, for, for them to know what it's like to, to prep and train coaches, that they're not just, not just random mm-hmm. people off the street. They're not just mm-hmm. teachers that were really good that we were decided we're bombing up, that you have a very intentional sort of formation process, a selection and formation process for, for academic coaching, because it is a very, it's a very unique skill set. Yes. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I want to go to the piece you talked about in terms of um, how you're using technology. So in my mind, as yeah. you're talking it through in terms of recording lessons, uploading, going on, going on Zoom, it, it has like a very like um, sort of John Madden, Chris Collinsworth sort of like uploading the footage and you know breaking it down and telestrating it. Uh, but it sounds like the technology piece is a huge part of what makes coaching really successful. So can you talk a little bit about how um, you have been or are looking to use technology platforms to support effective coaching? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Um, and I will say, again, it's rooted in the research. Um, you know, there there was a study that compared um, in-person and virtual coaching, and they found uh, no significant difference um, for coaching programs that were delivered in-person or virtually. Awesome. So, so we're, you know, and it's more cost-effective. So it, to me, like, it's a win-win. Um, but what we know with video is, and again, this, is a, this comes from the world of Jim Knight, is that video, when a teacher is recording their lesson um, and they're watching it back, just like you're saying, a coach watching film on their, you know, on their game and you're able to break it down, um, video mitigates the busyness of teaching. So as teachers are teaching, we can't say, watch yourself teach as you're teaching. Video takes care of that for you, right? It, you're recording yourself teaching, so you can go back and watch yourself teach. You can pause and rewind and reflect. Um, it also um, mitigates habituation. So as teachers, we kind of get into habits as we teach. And until we actually see ourselves teach, we don't necessarily recognize that we have habits while we're teaching. Um, and those habits might be calling on the same kids all the time or, or right. maybe staying glued to the podium or something like that. Um, so it mitigates habituation. And then the third thing is it mitigates confirmation bias. So a lot of times when we're teaching, you know, we're looking to confirm a particular bias we might have um, about particular students or um, approaches to grouping students or or whatever. And, and I think so with video, we can kind of break down all of those barriers and just get to what's on tape. And, um, and again, because we're using the look force from our toolkit, 
both the coach and the teacher are watching that video back and they have the same lenses uh, to review that that video. So it's pretty exciting, you know, that it's very empowering to the teacher. Um, yeah. You know, they, they get to decide what videos they share. You know, it's their video library and um, they can record three or four videos in a week and say, gosh, I, you know, I want them to see this one and just share the one video that they want their coach to see. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great mode of coaching, you know, That's to really be cool. virtual. I imagine you also get the benefit of saying like, hey, if there's something, there's an excellent practice that we're observing here. And, and I, along with a couple of my colleagues are working with the same coach or the same team of coaches, there's this scaling effect that we're able to identify those high leverage practices and be able to, to share them with other teachers in our community, in our diocese, across schools. There are like there are those really positive elements of being able to highlight and scale out best practice, right? A hundred percent. I mean, to me, that's kind of the really exciting part of this is that, um, of course, you know, we would never share a video without a teacher's permission. Um, but the opportunity to really capture those best practices that are happening in the classroom um, and for like you're saying, for schools or for dioceses to be able to say, yeah, I'm willing to share some of my best practices, whether it's questioning strategies or um, sharing, you know, communicating objectives in the classroom or whatever those kind of pieces are um, to the teaching puzzle that if we can build our own libraries of uh, video-based um, best practices, I think that would be amazing. And I imagine that's helpful too, if you've mentioned this a couple of times in your responses and in saying that part of this whole coaching process or this uh, building in the culture really in your school to, to effectively leverage academic coaching means that you have to have a shared understanding of what's best practice, right? So you talked about look forward, you talked about the John Hattie piece, and it seems like as you sort of get into the culture of academic coaching and we start to not only talk about what good teaching and learning sounds like but what it looks and feels like you have exemplars from within your own building to reinforce what best practices and so that shared language that shared understanding seems to be such a huge benefit from academic coaching you have captured it my friend that's exactly it yep good good stuff so let's let's shift to the benefit for students and families right because i think ultimately we want to we want to judge the success of any sort of professional development or professional improvement, not just on, you know, was it exciting or engaging, but what's the impact it ultimately has on students. So, so what do we know about academic coaching in terms of how it positively changes things for students and families? Yep. So um, there was a study done in 2018. It was a meta-analysis. Um, uh, three researchers looked at 60 studies. And, you know, what, what they found is something I think we already know is that one is that coaching can have a, a profound impact on teaching, but not so much of an impact on student learning. And so, you know, so there are a lot of people who are working on that and to get that impact down to the student level. Um, so Diane Sweeney, Leanna Harris are kind of take, have taken the lead on student centered coaching. Um, so from our perspective, what we do is, again, we work within that framework of those three levels of relationship-driven, teacher-centered, student-centered. And one of the activities that we engage in um, is, a, is um, a connect the dots activity. So when our coach is meeting with teachers in that kind of pre-coaching, getting ready for coaching session, what they're working on is defining a teacher goal. 
So whatever we're working on, whether it's in differentiation or science or whatever, whatever toolkit we're working on, um, we want to, you know, the coach and the teacher are defining that, that goal. And then we want to connect the dots to if the teacher achieves that goal, what's the student outcome? How does it impact students? Right. And what's the evidence? So, so we're very intentional. Again, I mentioned kind of the, the research variables that we're tracking. Um, two of them are, you know, what is that teacher goal? Can we name it? Definitely, you know, have that well-defined. Have we achieved that teacher goal by the end of our coaching cycle? And what's our student outcome and what's the evidence? And have we, um, have we met that student outcome um, as a result of coaching as well? So, so that's where we, we say, you know, if we're not impacting um, teaching and learning, we haven't done our job. We need to make sure that we're impacting both teaching and learning in the classroom. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, how do families benefit from this? Um, I think parents are happy when their kids are doing well. And I think as right. a result of coaching, you know, parents get parents get pretty happy about that because their their teacher feels, you know, I will say, John, too, you know, an outcome of our model is is developing teacher self-efficacy. And because we honor the strengths of our teachers, sometimes, you know, our teachers don't get told enough what a great job they're doing. And we and so, you know, our coaching values is to bring out their strengths and bring back joy in teaching. And um, and I think if you've got happy teachers who see through video week after week their own growth um, and the impact it's having on kids, you know, that to me can transform teacher student relationships and teacher parent relationships. That's awesome. That teacher self-efficacy concept is a really important one. I'm not sure it's something we, maybe we talk about using that, that vocabulary. Can you briefly explain what you mean by this idea of teacher self-efficacy? Because that's a huge piece in the Hattie research and in a lot of other research um, on, um, on school improvement. What do we mean by teacher self-efficacy? Yeah, from our perspective, it's, it's both head and heart. You know, it's teaching is a passion, you know, uh, Parker Palmer, you know, talks about that, you know, a lot. And, and just, you know, how are you feeling about teaching these days? Do you feel good about it? Do you feel good about yourself as a teacher? Um, so we want to talk about the heart aspect of, of the teacher, but also the head. Like, do you feel good as a practitioner? Do you feel confident um, in the lessons you're delivering and the effectiveness of your instruction? Um, so, yeah, so that's what we mean by self-efficacy, that they feel more confident as a result of this relationship with their coach. They feel better um, kind of as a person, as a teacher, and as a professional, as a teacher, as a result of um, this coaching relationship. And it matters just as much about how you, how well you, how well you feel you're doing as much as, you know, how you're actually doing for kids. And, and especially right now, mm -hmm. I think given the last 10 months of just the disruption mm -hmm. in teaching and learning in our schools, you know, building up that confidence and, and saying mm -hmm. that, Hey, we know what we're doing and we're doing it well. And we can see the impact in, in kids and families. Those are really important things to be attentive to. So it's great to know Absolutely. that academic coaching is very focused on that. And I love to connect the dots piece. And it seems like that's something that's a great piece to scale up when, whenever we're doing things for kids or making decisions in our schools is, can we connect the dots? Absolutely. And I think that ties back to the, the original question on the effectiveness of PD. 
and um, it's old research, 1984. Uh, but Bush writes about the effectiveness of PD, kind of 10% um, effectiveness versus 90% for coaching. And that's why wow. we say you got it. You got to follow up that PD with some pop-up coaching, with some faculty room conversations, right. with some sort of supports that, again, connects the dots to student outcomes. If we're going to PD just to go to PD, it's not enough if we don't make those explicit connections. That's a huge jump to go from 10 to 90%. And, and what's the what's the time trade-off here, right? Are we seeing that academic coaching is more like significantly more of a time investment than traditional PD? Um, what's being sort of given up in return for what is clear about the benefits of academic coaching? Um, yeah, so I mean, the, the, the time frame is, is really, you know, up to the school and up to the school's budget, I will say, you know, I think that's, that's part of the, the reality of this conversation. And as the, the person that does operational vitality, you get that, um, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, but I think, I think for us, you know, it's, it's the idea of in-person versus virtual, right? So virtual is much less expensive than in-person right. coaching where somebody has to fly in or somebody has to drive in. And there's a certain number of hours that that person is committing to being in the building. Um, so, so I think, you know, I, th I think that's kind of the, the goes back to that question of what's your vision of academic excellence for your building? Where do you want to be in three to five years? And what types of professional development are going to get you there? And, and, you know, I think it's wise to have kind of a diverse approach to your PD plan. It should be webinars and conferences and workshops and pop-up coaching and coaching. Um, it should be peer-to-peer -peer lesson study uh, and observation. There should be, you know, it should be a pretty robust, diverse plan. Um, and, and once you have that, then you can start to kind of, um, match your resources, your funding with that plan. Um, That's tremendous. And and I think just so to, to bring us to um, closer to the end here, I, I want to ask sort of the question of how can, how can leaders and teachers start to set the foundations for academic coaching today? So, you know, we're, we're coming up closer to, to the latter half of the year and, and we are mm -hmm. trying to, you know, I think <laughs> in some cases, so make it to the end of the year, but also we have an eye towards yeah. the next school year. Um, how do we start laying some of those foundations if we don't have academic coaching in place now? Uh, it's a good question. I think, again, it just goes to what's that vision for excellence for your school. And, and once you, you have that vision and you say, all right, coaching is my way to, uh, to improve student achievement, um, ultimately, right, to get us closer to that vision of academic excellence, it then is kind of laying the groundwork with your, with your teachers and saying, here are the paths to get us to that outcome or that vision of academic excellence. Um, we've got multiple ways to get there. Some of you might go to conferences. Some of you might engage in a book study. Some of you might choose to go the coaching route. And, um, and, and I think that's where, you know, principals are really, again, honoring their teachers and different teachers learn differently. And, um, if we're all working towards that same outcome, it, to me, it doesn't necessarily matter how you get there as long as you get there. And, um, right. and I think coaching is just one of those opportunities. So I think you, as a principal, you kind of hear, here are the ways in which we can get there. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And figure that out with your Almost staff. like, 
almost like you're saying, here are the dots, here are the different connectors. You know, do we have mm-hmm. all the dots in play? Do we know the different ways we can connect? And can we, as as a team of, of teachers and leaders, play around with those dots and those connectors and be able to form that vision that we want? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, the, you know, the kind of the common ro- pathways there are those group trainings, whether they're workshops, right. webinars, conferences, and then your instructional content, right? So you've got particular programs that you're purchasing each year. So you want to make sure those get implemented. Well, what's the best way to implement those programs? And then there's, you know, video libraries, book studies, things like that. So I think you're thinking about what are those pathways to get there? Um, I think now, again, with virtual is, is the opportunity to include a different way to coach, you know, um, to that, that kind of menu of options we can provide teachers with. That's really great. I think it's so great that we have this conversation to walk through, you know, the particulars and, and what academic coaching is and what it isn't, and ultimately how it benefits kids and families. It's such an important time to have this conversation, especially as we're trying to navigate the next couple of months, um, hopefully turning the corner as a nation, as a community of Catholic schools. And, and, and this seems like a, a good time as ever to, to reassess and, and rethink how we, how we structure our own professional learning and growth and, and take advantage of the opportunity for our kids to grow. So uh, Dr. Abeline, thank you so much for this great conversation. So much yeah, great it's been, it's been great to be with you. And I think again, for our non-public, you know, our Catholic schools out there, the blessing of coaching too is that you can use all four of your title funds to cover the cost of it. And so, you know, whether they're um, a low income, high, you know, high poverty school, they can use their title one. Um, they can use their title two, like every Catholic school can use their title two, title three, if you've got English language learners, um, and then title four uh, for those um, additional funding, uh, additional funding source for coaching. So, to me, there's lots of opportunities. And um, yeah, I look forward to um, continuing the conversation with you again someday, John. Awesome. Susan, thank you so much. And for those of you listening to our podcast, thank you for joining us for this week's episode with Dr. Susan Abeline from Facts Education Solutions. We'll catch you on the next episode.